This episode of Off My Shelf contains coarse language and adult conversation. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Tracy James and welcome to Off My Shelf, a podcast about movies that are well off my shelf, where we go through my DVDs and talk about the movies in my collection. In this episode, Mike Lennington joins me in talking about two films from 1987 with Radio Days and Raising Arizona. Oh, welcome. Hello. <laughs> All right. So which one do you want to talk about first? Um, I don't know because... I thoroughly enjoyed watching both of these movies, just like yeah. the last episode, thoroughly enjoyed watching those two movies. The episode yeah. for that, thoroughly enjoyed watching those two movies. Apparently, we're on a streak where the movies hold up and they're both great. Um, and because of that, I have few notes, but, and that that has to do with the fact that I just sat there staring at the movie in amazement about like, this is so good. Oh my God, this is so good. I have it with me for both too. Yeah, yeah, because they're both really, really fantastic. Um, you know what? Let's start. Let's start with you. What is your let Let's start. Let's go alphabetical then. So we're gonna go with Radio Days. Um, what is your uh impression of this movie? Because I think you said you had never seen it before. Oh no, I've seen it. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. For some reason. Um, I guess I saw them when I was in high school. So. I think I saw Radio Days first, so I was really young, and I really liked it. And then when purple, I saw Purple Rose of Cairo on um, Super Channel or something, and then I thought that was amazing. Yeah. And it was, it was actually both of these films are, I was super young, and I realized, like, how much I, like, got lost in that world. But also, I realized you know like at some age when you're super young you realize oh this person directed this and then that means something mm-hmm. whereas before that there was a period or you know you watch something and you're just like oh it's conan or it's this or that and you don't think of the director but with these two i remember i was like i think it was because my dad really liked the Cohen brothers mm-hmm. and then radio days i think i watched it with my parents or something and then they enjoyed uh early woody films yeah, like, it's definitely some- one of the early Woody Allen movies that is safe to watch with with adults around when you're a child. <laughs> it's a yeah, it's like a a nice look at what the world was like from a point of view of a kid from the '60s. I always like movies like that. Like, a, what's that Christmas one? The Canadian or not? A Christmas Canadian. story. Yeah, Christmas story. Yeah, uh, it takes place in the '40s, um, yeah. and like it it really did make me nostalgic for a time that i didn't exist in and if i did exist in it it would be a horrible time for a person like myself but um i still remember like the first time i watched it the thing that really got me about this movie is the music uh because like i love yes it makes me sound very old and but i was not 
alive at the time when this stuff was popular, but big band music and like Carmen Miranda and stuff. Ah, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It makes you want to just like move around a little bit. Just you bop your head, that kind of thing. And I just love it. It feels like a time period where uh, the, dep the depression just ended. And I guess it's just before World War II, but people are kind of enjoying life and spending money going to see like a dinner and a show kind of like uh it was it wasn't affordable for everybody but if you saved your money you could actually go see somebody super famous and enjoy a night like that yeah well i mean it's i i think it takes place between like 1940 and 1944 if i remember correctly because yeah because it, it ends on like new year's 1944 1945 one of those things um and they mention like pearl harbor in it and them sitting listening to the war um and then it's a couple of years before that um yeah. so it's like it it also shows the detachment from the war like though it's affecting your life and you're thinking about it because they, they talk about collecting scrap metal they talk about victory gardens they talk about uso tours they talk about all that stuff but mm -hmm. also the same the disconnect from being away from the actual fighting makes it seem like such a different world to be in as well so i think that's also one of the reasons why it's like you don't think of this like you're watching it and you don't really think about it as being during the war, but it is, you know, it's it could be. Yeah. It could be extreme. Cause it was such a weird, not weird, a uh, harsh time period that like maybe it was psychologically for everybody that because the war was in Europe that just in their minds, they tried to keep it out because it would always get reminded. They would probably get reminded daily by somebody's son passing away or something happened you know that worry it'd just be too much so they probably just kind of listened to the radio and then kind of went about tried to go about life i guess kind of like covid yeah it's kind of like covid i mean i think i think because this is um I mean, Woody Allen narrates it and he says it's his childhood and this is what he remembers. So I think like the movie, like the main character in the movie is the kid who's played by Seth Green, which is it's his first major role in a film as well, which I thought was fantastic. Um, but as a kid, you're not like unless something's directly happening to you, you're not remembering all those things in the background. You're remembering you, you tend to remember, like, the relatively positive things. You, you see the world in rose-colored glasses. Those are the things that you're holding on to. You're holding on to the fun. You're holding on to, like, like he said, going to the movies and listening to the radio and hanging out with friends at the beach and, and all that kind of stuff. That's what, yeah. you know, kids hold on to. And it's not until you get a little <laughs> bit older and a teenager and you become jaded with the world where all the darkness seeps in. And that's what you, you think about and talk about and remember. He's also, yeah, he's a kid, so he lives in his own little world anyways. But mm -hmm. part of that, it's kind of nice, the the idea that part of his world is the entertainment or the fantasy of radio, which for us was, you know, the fantasy of watching a movie like this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's one of the things I remember the most as a kid is 
I mean, I think it's kind of sad as sitting inside watching movies, but it's also just being entertained and being taken to different worlds and, you know, just seeing things and learning things and experiencing things. And like, this is part of it. I think, I think Mm -hmm. my love of a lot of like random music comes from stuff like this, because if I wasn't, well, a Bugs Bunny, because, you know, opera and classical music and all that kind of stuff comes in there um but also movies like this where you're like oh big band music where you're like you know when you're young you're like that's old people's stuff but then you're forced to listen to it in it while telling this intriguing story it just kind of worms itself into you and you're just like this is awesome i like it a lot it's good especially carmen miranda love it oh when the the older sister it was his sister it was his sister uh it was his cousin yeah yeah that was really nice that was so it was kind of like really spontaneous but well you know they're acting but it had a nice feel where like the dad and the the uncle were like singing like they it's a fun it seemed like a fun family and even Mm -hmm. if they had their problems at least they you know it was like a safe nice place yeah they were definitely a like they're portrayed as a family who really loved each other and got along and and all that kind of thing um and yeah every family has problems and issues and stuff but this is not the kind of movie that focuses on that kind of thing this focuses on the fun stuff that families can do together and 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 everything because they do they do bicker um but you can be happy and bicker at the same time i think it also i don't know if that's just me but it felt like uh it had a really big hint of seinfeld to it but then I saw, like, there's a number of people that were from Seinfeld in this thing. Uh, like who? I forget who. I'm, um... Are you are you thinking of The Simpsons? Actually, maybe I was thinking um, that time period in TV because it was uh, Seth played the kid and then he gave us robot chicken and a bunch of stuff. And then Marge is the mom. Yeah, that's the Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. And then there was somebody else, and I was like, "Oh, they're huge in the like in the '90s when." And for some reason, I thought Seinfeld. I don't oh, know why. I, I don't know it, why you said Seinfeld. Very entertaining New York kind of feel, like yeah, like New Yorker humor. Well, this is but this is classic Woody Allen, right? Like Woody yeah. Allen's whole thing is humor in New York, and New York is a character in his story, which, which he makes it that like even at the start of the movie he's like he's like i know i'm not i'm not trying to be uh dramatic but this is how i remember new york uh, like where he lived and he grew up and you know where was new york forget where it was it's somewhere in the new york boroughs of some sort (laughs) they made it funnier because it was like a rainy day he was like usually it's not rainy (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah, no, he remembers it as a dramatic place. And so that's the first memory he shows the audience. He's like, this creates drama, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it did, it did set a tone to it. But also when they did things like um, go into the city and the radio, the, the radio music hall scene where they go in and they're going to watch a movie and they show like the grandeur of it and people like dress up to go there. Like it was like a night out and, you know, you've, you've got all the, the art deco and the carpeting and the lighting and yeah, everybody's just like having a great time. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful stuff. It did yeah. feel fancy. It felt like that's what a night out 
would be like a night out like that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I find um, like as a person who likes to dress casually and be casual, I'm in t-shirt and jeans 98% of the time. I like that our society is relatively casual and we don't have to dress up every time I leave the house. But in like the 1940s, every time they went out, well, from the films and pictures and stuff that I've seen, I, of course, I didn't experience it. Everybody seemed to be elevated in a certain way. You know, it's always like nice slacks and a nice shirt, like a nice hat or like a nice dress and, and this kind of thing. Whether you're, I mean, if you're rich, it was fancier. If you're poor, it wasn't as fancy, but everybody dressed up to go out. doesn't matter where they were going. They dressed up to go out. Um, and like, I think that's very, maybe just romanticizes the era, but it makes it kind of lovely, I suppose. I think it was a way to socialize. I remember my aunt telling me um, they would go to uh, a gazebo in the summer, but then in the winter they would close off. So it would be a dance kind of hall, but along the lake. And then you would stand and they'd have a rope and you had a ticket. And with the ticket, you get like something like three dances and then you can pick a partner and then meet socially like people. And then when your dances are up, either somebody will come up to you and say, Hey, I got a ticket and go dance with you for like three rounds. It seemed like that that social order to it where there's a rope and you can't dance or you can dance but you're supposed to dance in the middle part and that somebody random stranger buys the ticket and it's like up to you whether you want to dance with them or not but it's like it has that nice little you gotta put a little bit of yourself into the moment like dressing up in order to attract somebody or like you can't just go up to somebody and just start kind of hitting on them or talking or having you know meeting people you have to socialize and uh actually put some effort into going out whereas now it's like well i mean people do put effort in going out but then you don't really have to now yeah but i also think it's a lot more specific the places you go to like that people dress up i mean um like based on this movie you know going Mm -hmm. to the store you you know, you'll, you put on a nice little pair of slacks and you put on, you know, a shirt. It, I went to Shopper Chuck Mart earlier and there was somebody in there in pajamas. Like, it's it's just kind of different. It's probably maybe your nosy neighbors also. Yes. Like that mentality back then, I guess, like everybody's business was your business. Yeah, I mean, like, well, I guess, you know, with like phone lines were party lines, essentially. And then, yeah, the one story with the nosy neighbor, you know, just staring out in the middle of the night and having to, she won't mind her own business. She gets shocked. Yeah. Oh, that was a great story. Oh, the teacher. <laughs> oh, my God, the teacher. Yes, there was that one, too. Uh, I, I did enjoy, uh, <laughs> I don't know how old Larry David must have been, but the communist neighbor where he goes over to yell at him to keep the noise down. Cause they're supposed to be like observing like with no power or music or anything. And no, then no, he, comes- he wasn't, no, he wasn't. The neighbor wasn't actually communist. They were, they were Jewish and it was the high holidays and the yeah, Jewish but- neighbors were just like, I'm not partaking in this. Yeah. Um, and he went over to yell at them about it. Yeah. But I think they were like Jewish, like Russian or something or the, and then no. he came with, Mm-mm. 
They were just making fun of them. Oh, I thought the neighbor kind of was okay at the end. They were okay with them. But yeah, they were okay with them because he went over to yell at them because to tell them, they're like, it's the high holidays. Why aren't you doing what we're doing? Which is, you know, dressing up and sitting at home and doing nothing. And he's like, but why should we? Because, you know, we're a progressive society and blah, 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 blah. Um, so then he sat there and talked to him about it. And he was just like, but it's true. And then he had a heart attack because he was smited by God, I guess. <laughs> well, it is like, you know, it's a big deal. Some of the holidays for Jewish families and they will either leave the TV on or they'll, you know, if like they can't because they can't touch the electricity. So they'll just leave it on for the 24 hours or whatever it is. Yeah. Fine. You yeah. Think, man, you got to pick a good channel if you're going to leave it on for 24 hours because... I imagine yeah. it's the it's sci-fi channel or Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. I don't imagine it's going to be... Uh, you got you know. to throw on the, the weather network or something. Be like, uh, got to see the uh, storms coming in. Yeah, I guess that's better than CBC or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess it depends what you kind of like listening to. If you like something educational or not, you know, you put it on, um, I don't know, what's a good education? TLC is not a good educational channel anymore. It's all reality TV. None of them are. Free channel. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ancient aliens. I never do that. It was part of history. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you think they got the things there? It has to be aliens. What are you talking about? The best is, like, there's probably... 20 different uh how the pyramids were built and it's probably everything from like ancient mariners to aztecs to like super spacemen from the future exactly or building from the bottom up or the top bottom <laughs> it's like how it is even built is like come on <laughs> yeah i mean they knew what they were advanced societies at the time they knew what levers were they probably just tied some rope tip and lifted it it's not that crazy uh, uh yeah but uh, i also like that it's the actual answer is more horrific than any uh, UFO alien thing. It's like, yeah, billion, you know, million. I don't know how many. How many do you think it was that to make one pyramid? Like how many slaves? The slaves? Oh yeah. yeah, a whole bunch for sure. You probably went through a couple generations of families making the pyramids. Oh yeah. Oh definitely. Yeah. yeah. Imagine the that. From the getting the stones to cutting the stones, actually putting them in places and blah, blah, blah. Or yeah. even the kids like, Grandpa, what are we doing? We're building this. Why? Because if we don't, they'll kill us. <laughs> <laughs> and we laugh about it now. It's great. <laughs> no, we make religions out of it. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Those yes. are not either. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's your biggest, uh, is there some part of it that you didn't like in the movie, Radio Days? Of this movie, um, yeah. like there's a couple of parts that get a little slow, especially the part with um, the girl that fell in the well. I found that scene went a little long, longer than it needed to. Yeah. Um, but I think it's supposed to be a reflection on how not everything in that time period was great because not everything is great in any time period, no matter how great the time period is. Um, mm -hmm. But it just felt like such a, a juxtaposition to like everything. And it wasn't even just like a, 
like a slow introduction. Like it was like something that was peppered throughout a couple of scenes. And then here was like the culmination of that peppering. It was just like, they're running around and all of a sudden smack, we're all depressed and a kid's dead. And you're like, oh, okay, sure. Um, but like, I think even, I think every generation, I, I know this may sound weird, but I think there's a few generations of people in North America who've heard the story of some kid, like, like in your childhood. Cause I think in, in our childhood, if I remember correctly, there was a kid that fell in the wall when I was like 12 or something. Um, but that kid survived. So there's like mm. a whole thing about it. Um, and I think, I mean, I wasn't in North America and neither were my parents before that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Like, cause that, was a weird problem that they had for a while. I don't, it was every like five or six years, some kid was in a well. It doesn't happen as often, or maybe nobody cares. Nobody cares about horrible. the kids anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we care about the kids in, uh, in little prop planes that get stuck in the Amazon for like, how many days? 40 days, something like that. Yeah. It's Wait. like, it's like pretty incredible. Hold hold on, what? There was a a plane, and then they lost track of it. It basically, uh, I think the I don't know what happened specifically. I think the pilot had a heart attack or something, and then it was full of like there was five kids. So I think it was five kids. So there's a almost teenage older sister, and then younger siblings, and then youngest was a baby. And then when they found him, the I guess the oldest uh, passed away because of her injuries, and then the younger ones survived because they had. Did the pilot die as well? Yeah, I think he died. The all the adults, so it was only the children. And then they found wrappers and uh, baby stuff at the crash site, and I guess they kept on moving because I think their father or someone in the family taught them kind of survival in the jungle. So they guess they looked for a river and then started, uh, you know, looking for food and shelter and things like that. That's like crazy. surviving. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, that's nuts. Yeah. And then the, uh, of course the wilderness, the army that went in to find them, one of them had a tracking dog and now the tracking, I don't know if they found it, but the tracking dog went missing and then <laughs> it, and everybody left. And then they, we're trying really hard to find the dog again. Yeah. Probably so got like, in by a puma or something, sadly. Well, I could see him living out there for a bit. He's like, I'm free, <laughs> finally! It's kind of scary, though. You just disappear. Yeah, or- like, especially... I mean, I think when I was younger, or if I was this age in, like, the 80s, I'd be like, that's not so bad. But now, like... When you're so used to being connected to people all of the time, it's Mm -hmm. so much harder to be disconnected from people. Like, I can't be without my phone. I'm at least, I'm at least okay at home. Like, I can leave my phone on like a desk somewhere and go about my business. Like, it doesn't have to be on me. I don't have to check it constantly. You know, like every time it buzzes, I'm not like running and be like, oh my God. That's fine. But if I leave the house without my phone, I feel like I left my arm behind or something. Like it's. Will you go back even if you made it to work and then you remember that you left your phone? Would you go back home to get it? 
not if I made it all the way to work, because if I made it all the way to work, there's phones at work and there are people around. I'm fine. And you got the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And I have the internet and everything. But if I'm just like, if I'm like almost to the subway, I'm just, I don't have my phone. I am coming back for that. I'll be like, no, this is something I need. Um, so yeah, like, you know, as a kid, we used to be disconnected all the time and it was never an issue. But now being disconnected seems just like a nightmare scenario in general. <laughs> Too many horror films. Seriously. I'd be like, I'm sorry, what? I'm somewhere without my phone. That means I'm going to get kidnapped. I'm going to get murdered. Nobody's ever going to find me ever again. That's how it works. It, it does happen yeah. that way. <laughs> it does. How, how connected are you? How how connected are you to your technology? And um. I have had where I'll go out and be spending the whole day out and then either my battery went dead or my, I forgot the phone. Like if it's on the weekend and I won't worry. Cause I know it's like the, actually the only thing that starts happening is it starts running through my head that not that my, I'm, something's going to happen to me, but that somebody will break into my place and steal my phone. Cause it has all my information on it. Like that would be the stupid part of my brain that it doesn't make any sense because why would they just steal my phone why wouldn't they steal anything else yeah <laughs> but it's true i think i would i think i'd cry if i left my phone i'd be like um i know off the top of my head i know three phone numbers and but everything else on my phone i'd be screwed with i'd be like i don't got nothing i don't know mm. I, yeah i think it would, it would cause my brain to freeze and then uh i would think my body would start to break down and maybe um Pass gas uh, involuntarily. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be one of those situations where you're just like, uh, ooh, and then you get a, you know, an eye twitch, and then a noise comes out of you. Yeah, all of your sphincters release. Yeah, it's like a early panic attack. I'm sorry, audience. Uh, that's probably TMI. You're welcome. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's what they came for. It's fine. Make it work. <laughs> But yeah, like I can't, I can't be truly disconnected anymore. Like even, um, so I was away recently. And so of course, you know, my phone's on airplane mode and I only get internet when I hit like a Wi-Fi hotspot. Like if I get to like, uh, like a, someone's house or like a hotel or something like that, I hit Wi-Fi and oh mm -hmm. my God, the in-betweens, I'm just freaking out. I'm like, I have my phone with me. Can't do anything with it. I'm out on like a beach or something can't do anything but i have it i need it i keep checking it thinking oh no no got nothing but yeah but as soon as i hit that wi-fi gotta check everything nobody's messaged me nothing in in interesting is happening but freaking out about it that i'm not connected to things it's crazy probably not, probably not a good thing <laughs> no there's, yeah there's actually like a syndrome now i forget what it's called but um people have phantom vibrations on their body now mm -hmm. um where they think it's even if their phone is nowhere near them or the phone's not vibrating whatever or the phone's in a even in like a different pocket they'll have like mm -hmm. a random vibration like near pockets or somewhere on their body and they'll like have to check they're like oh i got a message but like oh no i don't have a phone why did i feel like my side vibrates yeah, it's like a it's like a thing. It seems kind of normal, actually. Like, like if I lost, if I forgot my phone, 
and then I had a phantom. Like if you even didn't know that you didn't have your phone, you might think like a certain like if you brushed up against something, like it's like, oh my phone. But should it should it feel normal though? I feel like that shouldn't feel normal. I think it's a uh, reflex reaction or you know, like you involuntary reflexes. I mean, like, I guess like, your alarm is gonna wake you up, but if it's another alarm that might not it might either wake you up and disturb you or you might not hear it but your your specific alarm that you wake up to you're kind of heard it so much that you're just like you kind of, it does kind of jolt you or at least i find it does like you're it's cuz you're trained to it like you're trained to this is the sound for waking up yeah and i've gone through it so many times that now it's just almost like a secondary nature yeah to like and then even if i get up and i'm like Oh, I'll press snooze. It's <laughs> that's part of the whole routine now too. Is pressing snooze. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever gotten up in the last I don't know four years without pressing snooze once. Yeah, that's true. Even a couple of times, like I'll wake up, I'll press snooze, but still get out of bed, and then I'm like, "Why did I press snooze? I'm actually getting up." Yeah, but it's just it's just the habit of swiping in that direction to snooze instead of you know turning it off first. It's weird. Mm. Yeah. Strange. Um but <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah, no, I get my um phone alarm song stuck in my head when I wake up in the morning. But I kind of feel after watching this movie that I might change it to like Carmen Miranda or something. Be like the South American Way song. I just throw that in there. Every morning wake up, get that song stuck in my brain. Be like amazing. I forgot about cigarette ladies. Oh yes. Yeah. Cigarettes and gum, and I guess that's about all they had. No, what is it? Cigarettes, cigars, and matches. Is I think she said she was selling. Mm-hmm. But yeah, oh my god, and that character was such a good character. What was that character's name? Um, oh, I saw it. Played by because I loved uh, Sally. Sally. Yeah. Um, Sally and B were definitely my favorite characters in in the overall uh, movie, and I was just like, they're just well. I think you know Diane Weist as B. She was just such a she was just like a such a fun, positive character that had an air of naivety, but was clearly she clearly had experiences and had knowledge and knew how to carry herself in, in the world she was in, but she sort of ignored that just to let herself have fun in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that's one of the reasons why she listened to such great music. Even the character said in, in the movie that um, she, she was like one of his favorites because without her music wouldn't have been such like a big part of his life. And I was like, yeah, she loved music and it was great. And then there was Sally, who's just this like hopeless person trying to make it. And she finally does. And it's quite fantastic, even though she sort of lost her first opportunity, you know, due to Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. But she got herself out there and got herself her diction lessons. And I am sorry, her at the the diction, like the what's it called not just diction it's um voice um no what is oh, dic- what would they have called it back then yeah they called it something in the movie and now i cannot remember for the life of me what they called it 
Um, but her saying, hark, I hear the cannon roar, is it the king approaching? Was is one of the greatest scenes in anything. I'm sorry. It is just, I laughed so hard and I still laugh every time that scene comes on. I think it's fantastic. That's nice. <laughs> Um, what's your what's your favorite part of this movie? Oh, uh, the <laughs> the um, Orson Welles UFO where they're in the car, and then he <laughs> just running down the field. <laughs> yeah, just leaves her there in the dark, and she has to what she said she walked nine miles home or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was pretty great. Yeah, that was really fantastic. Um, I actually think the the reenactment of the baseball story um is really oh, fantastic that... what's his name kirby kyle yeah something like that he's like and this this poor baseball player but at the end of it he's like he had 12 wins in the great baseball diamond in the sky i love it i absolutely love it um yeah. there's just so many like small moments in this movie that is just like it's just structured so well and put together so well and you just I find you just like all the people in the movie, even if the people aren't supposed to be the greatest people, you know? Oh, well, even had like one of the first introductions is like, uh, is it uncle Abe, the guy with the, who gets the fish off his buddies? Yes. And it's just like, yeah, that's family. And the wife's just so sick of fish, but he's like, they like me. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? It's fresh fish. Like, yeah, <laughs> bring it home. <laughs> You know, it's food. It's food to feed the family. Sure, you get sick of fish, but guess what? You didn't pay for it, so it's a pretty good day. Yeah. Because um, even like the neighbor, there's the scene with like the burglars winning the contest and oh, then was- destroy the house. You know, but they get all furniture the next day. Um, all of that was fantastic. I think that's what it felt like. Radio telling a bunch of short stories or little, you know, like. But it's also like that family feeling of, oh, your uncle's going to tell you a story about when he was a kid. You know, you're kind of captivated by it. And then at the end, even if you don't laugh that hard, it's like, it's a nice little piece of, you know, family. Yeah, it makes, you feel, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like part of something, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. One thing this also reminds me of, especially with, like, the opening, they start with, like, the Green Hornet theme and stuff, and they talk about, like, the radio shows and everything. I remember um, when people used to listen to radio back in the day um, on 104.5 on Sunday nights, they used to have two radio programs. They used to have the Sunday Funnies, and then they used to have, they had, they would play, like, old radio shows. And so the Sunday Funnies was, like, an hour-long thing of, like, stand-up comedians and, like, comedy skits and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then after that, they'd have old radio shows. And the the two I remember and I loved the most was they'd have the Green Hornet and they'd have Harry Lyme, which is like from the third man and all that kind of stuff, Orson Welles. And I just used to remember me like getting ready for bed, you know, getting ready for school the next day and just like listening to this stuff. And, it's, and it really does like trigger your imagination it really does because they get into it they've got like all the foley artists and they've got like they're like acting you know that kind of thing they're not just like it's not like an audiobook where um i mean no audiobooks they they put like some gravitas behind their words and everything so it's not bland but it's 
it's really a production and it's like and it just like reminded me of that that just like one little bit of my childhood where I was like kind of like crossing that line even though I didn't live it I have that connection to that time period as well which was which was Zoomer Radio does that at 10 o'clock at night every night at every night yeah Mm. because my dad on because he likes uh dragnet kind of things but the uh so it's frank proctor presents and then it's from his library of things and he always <laughs> my dad starts getting, he's like i'm gonna make it it's like a a nonsical like it's not even a comedy it's like following a guy on his daily routine but it's frank proctor's favorite thing <laughs> every night he'll my dad will turn it on and as soon as he hears the episode he's like god damn he just turns it off <laughs> it's pretty great when he gets a good one because he'll sit he'll actually he he'll sit close to the radio and he'll start leaning in if it's yeah. like a really funny comedy or if it's like a usually like the scary story it's yeah. it's it's the witty banter also between he likes the hard detective and the young detective and it would be that you know that kind of cynicism but still joking and making fun of everybody else in the room yeah it's like yeah it's it's a lot of fun but it's also like the writing's actually yeah i can't imagine that being easy like to just the voices well yeah you have to do you have to do more to get like the the sense of the scenario out there i guess you know when you get rid of that visual element and stuff it's 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 also still bringing someone's script to life, but you have to do it with like one less medium to get that mm. out there, kind of thing. Also, um, it's probably so serious because it was live radio, and like as soon as you screwed up, you're probably gone. Like, oh yeah, I don't mm. know. It's like the classic soap operas and stuff, but um, yeah. but it, it's the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's the same thing with like, um, like I mentioned, um, like books on tape and stuff. Because I'm really into listening to audiobooks right now, mm-hmm. and I find it so like unless it's presented in a very, I don't even know how to describe what way to present it, but unless it's presented in a way that makes me sort of like your dad does, lean into it. I can't listen to the audiobooks. Like if their their voice is wrong or if they're they're reading it too monotonously or whatever, it just doesn't come across right, you know? Like um right now I'm listening to um the 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 works of HG Wells and each book has a different person reading it. And so the first book was uh read by i think his name is one of the doctors um yeah it's read by david tennant and it was um it's war of the worlds he he wrote uh he read and oh my god i was just like gripped by his reading of this story like it it was just fantastically done and it's just him reading this didn't have like a like foley or anything it's just him reading it as the voice of the narrator of this story and it was just fantastic now now it's the same writer and the next book starts and i honestly don't even know who the next person reading it is but i'm hating every minute of it even though it's the same 
it's the same writing. It's just read yeah. by a different person. And I don't know, it's just maybe the speed of how they're they're reading it, or maybe it's the sound of their voice, or maybe it could be the content, but I'm hating every minute of listening to this. But I'm just like, it's the same like writer. I should be into this. But no, their voice really does make a difference to it. Yeah. I picture it feel like you're stuck in a high school classroom. Like with the teacher, with the tone or a subject or, you know, you just don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember, uh, I love telling this story because it's just such a ridiculous thing I had. Um, so when I was in uh, doing architecture, architectural studies, we had a teacher that did structures and it, this is going to sound boring, but the, the whole point of the class is about you know, how thick of a wall does a, a like a load bearing wall need to be for a two story building or a 10 story building or a 20 story building? Like how big do pillars need to be to hold weight and blah, 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 because you don't want your building to collapse. Now, to me, that sounds very interesting because I'm a shiny dork. But to me, that sounds very, very interesting. Um, but the teacher that we had for it he would put me to sleep so quickly because he had this weird monotone voice um, and he had an accent and he literally sounded like an Indian William Shatner to me. And he would just start talking and I would just be like, I've fallen asleep now and I'd be out of it. Like it, I'd just be done. I'm like, I can't do this. I'll read the book later, whatever. You know, it's just like certain voices just do certain things to your perception of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happening with this. And I'm trying to get into it, but I'm like, I can't do it. And I might skip the story and try to go to another one and like actually physically read that book compared to listening to this guy read it. And I feel bad for that guy. But David Tennant just like hit it out of the ballpark off the bat. And I'm he's a hard act to follow. I'm sorry. Yeah, maybe it's a bit above. Maybe it's a bit of both, yeah. Um, I do have to admit, though, every once in a while in the story reading, I did think it was Scrooge McDuck reading this, and I, it just became a little bit more entertaining. Because um, if you watch the most recent iteration of DuckTales, he was the voice of Scrooge McDuck. And I was just like, <laughs> uh, Scrooge McDuck is running from aliens. This is great. That's it. That was my rant. I apologize. I went off oh, the deep end. No, I was just thinking the one of the band uh, in the movie, one of the band, the Latin band leader is mm -hmm. Tito Puente. Like he's actually uh, a huge uh, musician. Tito. Was it actually him? Yeah. Because I was looking at the guy and I'm like, that guy looks familiar. But I yeah. was like, wow, oh, okay, that's cool. Um, I loved... Another connection to The Simpsons is I loved his appearance on The Simpsons in the Who Killed Mr. Burns episode um, when he did that song about killing Mr. Burns, but he didn't actually kill Mr. Burns. It was really fantastic. Tito Puente. I just like saying his name, too. It's a great <laughs> name to say. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, should we move on to the next one? Um... Do I have any more notes on this? Carmen Miranda song, Park, I Hear the Hands Roar, I mentioned the Green Hornets, and baseball player story is amazing. Yeah, that was all the actual notes I wrote down. The German U-boat. Uh, the German was, it... was very cool, yeah. 
You know what's really weird? That reminded me of the scene in Stand By Me where the kid wakes up before everybody else and he sees like a deer. And he's like, this is the first time I've ever told anybody about this. It was. It's the same thing. He saw a German U-boat. He saw a deer bounding through the forest. That's it. And it had that same kind of melancholy wonderment to it. Something for them, but also... If you told somebody else, they probably, you don't want to deal with them thinking you're lying about it. Yes. And also, if you saw something like that, you'd probably be like, yeah, I don't really have to prove this to anyone. This is pretty crazy as it is. Mm -hmm. Well, he says in the movie, he's like, I didn't tell my friends because nobody ever believed me and there's no way to prove it. And it's true. Um, Because they'd just be like, you're full of shit, blah, 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 blah. And it kind of would take away from the moment as well. Like it was something important to you. And if you just get shouted down about it from other people, just kind of taints things like that, I suppose. It's also a realization that you can keep things to yourself and you don't have to tell everybody everything about it. Or, you know, like if I saw a deer, I'm not going to go out of my way to like, hey, I saw a deer. It'd be more like I'm gonna keep this in my uh, memories. Yeah, That's- based on based on that, you are not the person social media is made for. FYI. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we live in a society where you know a picture didn't happen. So yeah, that didn't happen. You can keep it in your mind, sure, but you know nobody cares because there's no proof. Well, yeah. Also, who who really cares? I mean, <laughs> that is that is true. That is true. Thirteen-year-olds care. There you go. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is true too. Yes. Um. So we're gonna move on to another prolific set of directors who made another movie in 1987 that is is kind of as quirky, but in a very different way, and also very fantastic in the classical sense, just like um, Radio Days with Raising Arizona. And again, I loved it. I think I think it's great. It aged well. Everything's fantastic. That's it. That's all I got. It's, it's great. Yep. Ditto. <laughs> we got to say more about this fantastic movie than Ditto. Yes. Uh, okay. So Raising Arizona, I think I watched it on a Friday or Saturday night, but I'd been playing video games and I had um, a weed drink. And then I was like, this is perfect time to watch this. And as I started watching it, it kind of hit me. And then it's actually one of the best parts because then I got, I was like, Oh, I forgot that I'm supposed to be studying this. And I was into the movie. And then at some point I remember, Oh yeah, I'm supposed to remember stuff for this. And then when I was thinking that I was like, Oh, this part right now would be a perfect time for the music for the, the title raising Arizona coming up. And I was like, I, I hope it happens. And then all of a sudden it's the yodel, but it actually <laughs> startled me because I, because <laughs> I had my headphones on like noise canceling. And I actually kind of jumped back because of the, the yodel is like just out of nowhere and pops. And then the, the name Raising Arizona just shows up on the sunset. Yeah. And I was like, that is incredible. And then the rest of the movie, I was like, no matter what I see in this, everything's going to be amazing. Yeah. It, I, I just- mean, I find the thing with Coen Brothers movies is they have such a way of setting up these complex 
convoluted stories in the most believable and entertaining ways that you're just like, by the end of the movie, you're just like, I don't even know how we got here, but I went on this ride and I loved every minute of it. And that's what this movie does. They get really artsy too. Cause it's like, okay, so the, the two brothers break out of prison and there's that scene where they're in the mud and oh he looks God, like, yeah. but it's amazing. Cause he looks like a, a prim- primordial man, like giving birth out of like the earth. And then he like kind of he grabs his brother and then pulls him out but holds him above his head it's like and it's also like uh, artistically like it's complex because it's like oh he's dragging his family with him like whether they're doing right or wrong it's like they're in because he's holding him by the leg upside down (laughs) and then he does we're in this together this is what's happening yeah yeah it's so good yeah and every it's, character introduction is fantastic, from High to um, to Ed to, of course, the the two brothers, the uh, Gail and Evel. Just, just every oh, and even like when he has the dream about the guy on the motorcycle, and he's like, he's a demon from my dreams and stuff, and you're just like, what is happening here? What is going on? Like it's just. It's just every introduction is so it they're but they're also very succinct introductions. It's not like yeah. long, ongoing, just like and there's not like a crap load of exposition. It just it just goes. And I think you're just like it's just done well. It's also a comedy. I remember laughing my ass off at a bunch of stuff with you know, I was watching it with my dad. And then uh when he gets the he drops the diapers and then picks them up at the end, like that yeah. whole chase. And then <laughs> up at the end, my dad like did that classic like knee slap and like yes. <laughs> yeah, I love I love too that it's it's he's in the car. She's yelling and screaming about him at him because he's like it's like how could you do this to me? Blah blah blah. And she's like he's like yes dear, turn here. And he's like yes dear, turn here. He's like yes dear. I think it's over here. Okay, yeah. And he just opens the door and picks them up, and you're just like. Wait, you remembered where you dropped the diapers? What? While somebody's like got a shotgun shooting at you? Like this is crazy. Like it's crazy. Oh, even <laughs> they steal the kid and then uh, she starts crying and then he's like, "What does he say?" He's like, "He's a he's a little he's a little bad guy. He's a little little thief or you know, like a little rebel." <laughs> the wife right away was like, "No, no, no, no." <laughs> and she just breaks into tears immediately. She's like, "I love him so much." <laughs> so good. Um, I like I looked at that and I was just like, that's how I feel about like cats and dogs. As soon as I meet them, I'm like, I will die for you. This is just how this works. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really, it's really great. Like even um like so much happens before the like the title card of the movie comes up, you know? Like yeah. half half their life happens before the title card comes up. And because I was like watching it and I was just like, oh, I thought this was like extended throughout the movie, but no, like him getting his mugshot taken over and over and over again and Ed being there every time he's there, him being in prison and him realizing that he loves this woman and all this kind of stuff. And then her crying and breaking up and him deciding to go, you know, go clean and everything. And then they get married and then the title card happens and you're just like, how much of this did I watch? It was less than 10 minutes. And you're just like, 
but I got two more hours of this. What is the rest of this movie? Even though, like, I know, I thought I knew what half the movie was, but I didn't. Yeah. And so it was just kind of like, I I was just feeling like, how is it you did this so well and so quickly? And I feel so connected to these characters immediately. And then the rest of the, like, then the actual story of this movie starts to happen. You're like, what? They must have had to fight for that in the pitch, too. Because it's a long time before seeing the title. Mm Mm-hmm. So they must have gave like a nice little telling of why and how and like they must have sold it really well on the pitch to give them. But, but do you think the placement of a title card is part of the pitch of the movie? I think I can picture if you're doing this in front of a production group and then somebody in it is like, wait, when's the title? Like they have a list of things that have to happen in the movie. Mm-hmm. for them to invest and then they would i'm sure one of them must have brought it up like where's the title why doesn't it happen at the beginning and but i'm sure he in the pitch he probably pitched it really well that this is like why the title's here because it feels like very controlled the whole movie like oh yes and it's like he, i don't picture they're that they're not super young but they are young directors so it must be they must have had a lot of either a lot of passion in the pitching or they're like we're our bulldogs <laughs> or you know like when they're behind the scenes and talking about budget and stuff they're either they're really good with it like the communication with investors and finance and all that stuff yeah to get the go ahead to to make the you know like most of their films are art they're more they really are yeah they're a, a joy to see when they come out. Except for that Tom Hanks one. God damn, I hate that one. Uh, I think it's a I think it's a oh, the, uh oh I know which one it is. The New Orleans thing one. It, no, it's not that one. The Lady Killers. Yeah, that yeah. I have that, never watched that one. So I, I don't know. I remember I didn't I couldn't get into it. I don't know why. I don't even remember finishing it. Well, Raising Arizona was only their second movie. Um, So, yeah, they must have, after Blood Simple, people loved them. And I guess that was it. I mean, I actually, for a long time, I didn't know the Hudsucker Parksy was a Coen Brothers movie. But but like with, now that I've gotten to know them better, like over the years, because I watched, I watched, initially watched most of these movies when I was quite young. Right. And so, but like over time, you you start watching and making connections, all that kind of stuff. And people talk about like Wes Anderson having like this very specific style of filmmaking, but the Coen brothers are the same thing. It's just a little less obvious than, um, than what Wes Anderson does. But Mm -hmm. if you watch back to back Coen brothers movies, you pick up on their style. They have a very specific way of doing things. Did you notice that? Okay. So there's a scene with the babies. And he's trying to get them uh, to be quiet, like mm-hmm. around. It's comical, yeah. But the way it's shot, it felt like it was very strange. I think it was because the mom and dad downstairs and the angle of the camera it felt like a Tim Burton, like that whole like it had this feel of Pee Wee's Herman, like fisheye lens and just the color schemes and everything. It felt a little gaudy, but uh, it was almost for the comedy. 
Yeah, and this is and this is part of their style of filmmaking. Like if you if you watch Raising Arizona, you watch Barton Fink, you watch Fargo, you watch The Big Lebowski, it's the same type of like extreme close-ups of faces, the fish the fisheye lenses, the really busy backgrounds of people doing boring things, you know? Yeah. Like that's in all of those movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I totally forgot about Hudsucker. I got to watch it again because it has a bunch of uh, 1984 dystopia feelings in it. Because when they're walking around in the office and there's all the people in the typewriters, I think. Is that the same movie? Um, I don't remember specific scenes in that movie. I just remember it ends with them at a spa. But it's it's about the creation of the hula hoop. Like I just like the first time I watched that movie, I think I was like maybe like 14, 15 years old. And I watched it and I was just like, that was weird, is all I could think. And then a few years later I watched it again and I was like, this movie's about a hula hoop was all I kept thinking. <laughs> I was like, what? But <laughs> you, you liked it. But I liked it. Like, that was the thing. Is like, it's like some of the movies, like, like when I watched Raising Arizona, I was way, way too young to really get it. But yeah. it left me with like a, I enjoyed that feeling. Right. So when it came back, like, when it came back into like, I can watch this again, I watched it again. And I was like, oh, I really do like this movie. And now I understand the story better, you know? And every time I watch it, I like it a little more. Mm-hmm. And I find that's a thing with a lot of Coen Brothers movies is like because there's like I said they're they're strange they're peculiar they're the stories are convoluted for like no reason they're convoluted for no reason but the way they're structured you end up you like the people you like the story and they they leave a lot of them leave you with a relatively good feeling by the end of it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you, you just enjoyed this journey that you went on. Um, and I think, and I think that's the thing with them. Yeah. Well, some of their movies, they're not fun roller coaster rides. It's like edge of your seat or, you know, like you feel uneasy the entire film, like old, uh, no country for old man. Like that type of, like they'll do the extremes, but then they'll mm-hmm. do like this type of movie, which is like, uh, like Buster Scruggs, that thing on Netflix. Yes, yeah, and the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. You yeah. know, like each of these little stories is going to be amazing, and you know it's going to be so much fun. And they were, mm-hmm. they they really are. Like one of I I I am not a big fan of No Country for Old Men. Um, I, I it's not that I don't think it's well shot or the the acting is good. People are going to hate me for this, but I think the movie's pointless and it annoys me. Like it's like there's there's no point to this movie. And it annoys me, right? Um, but you're talking about like they're serious films and like a movie like A Serious Man, which is yeah. for some reason it's a movie that a lot of people haven't seen, but I feel like more people really should see because it's so good. But also it's kind of really depressing at the same time compared to a lot of their other movies, you know? Um, yeah. And it's just... I don't. I don't even know how to describe what I like about it. What do you think's their favorite? Your favorite? Is it going to be like Fargo? Um, my it's well, it's the Big Lebowski. It's going to be the Big Lebowski. Um, 
it yeah it's gonna be the big lebowski for sure i mean i think i think that's a very basic answer i apologize no um, so i i sometimes i get a feeling with movies you just it's 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 like a a painting and then you go back to the paintings you like because you like the emotion that it opens up. So it's yeah. almost like you go back and rewatch a movie and then sometimes you think it's because of the acting, the entertainment, or you like the message. But then after a while, it's it's sometimes what it actually is starts to feel like is the feeling that you get from this ride that you're on. And yeah. it's just like the mix of everything. It's the language, the acting. But you like that where the vibe is with yeah. this. Like, specific... Well, I think it, you know, it's a, it's a comfort that you end up going back to that. Like with anything you, yeah. you go back or to you, what, you know, like sometimes I'll watch a movie. I kind of hated, but I like something in it and I'll try watching it again just to see what part of that, that I liked. And usually it's the acting or something in the writing, but mm-hmm. it's always, uh, even though I hit it, I, if I go back, I'll find something there. It's kinda- yeah, no, when it comes to movies I hate, I only go back to watch it if it's a movie I hate and everybody else loves. For example, like you you brought up No Country for Old Men. And yeah. the first time I, the movie that a movie ended and I was, I was just pissed off. I was just like, what the fuck is this nonsense? Like, what do people like so much about this? Like, I, like I, I could analyze it. I'll be like, no, the acting is really good. The cinematography is really good. I mean, it's, friggin the coen brothers they're fantastic directors and stuff and so Mm -hmm. then i watched it a second time and i was like no this movie is fucking pointless and i was just i was i it made me realize why i didn't like the movie the second time i watched it but at the same time i was just like this movie sucks like why do people like this this is a pointless movie well you don't even want to you don't want to think about the feeling or the the thought of it even i guess yeah yeah i was just kind of like over it but then, yeah, you, want, you want to wash your mouth of it. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, but even like True Grits um, and Burn After Reading and stuff, like Burn After Reading is like a classic Home Brothers movie, but True Grit is a remake. Mm-hmm. And like after watching True Grit, I really liked, liked their version of True Grit. I remember seeing this, seeing that movie with my mother and my mother hated it. She absolutely hated it. Um, but I was just like, that was fantastic is all I kept thinking. And then I decided I was going to watch the original movie, put on the original movie, and I didn't get more than like 25 minutes into it. And I was just like, but I'm looking at the original movie and I'm like, this movie is shot. It's almost shot for shot. True Grit? Almost yeah. shot for shot. Um, The part I saw at least. And I was like, all I could think is like, I don't understand why I don't like the original but i like this new one and i still haven't figured it out but i have a feeling it has to do something with the sound like because because the older movie has less of a score it's it's very high on foley and all that kind of stuff and i think it's just like the sound balance wasn't right and it was just turning me off um that's the only thing i could pick up as to why i didn't like the original one but I could, I just couldn't make it through the original. But also, I think it also shows a directing style, despite being almost shot for shot, makes a difference in 
how you experience a story being told. You know, they do, they do a good job of showing you like this is what like backbrush and desert or open country is like. You know, like they do a good understanding of the environment. So if it's like uh, Fargo, they get Midwest winter or that feeling yeah. they, that that movie. It's just like it makes you feel you know one of those gross days in the middle of winter where you just want to stay indoors but you got to go to work but yeah it's and, kind of amazing yeah and even if you're in like the middle of the city it still feels like you're in like this desolate place you know because everybody's just like rushing to get inside places yeah. to places it's and it's, like, wind swept and all this kind of stuff yeah and then yeah. um well, my favorite is uh, Hail Caesar, and then it's it has this like romantic, uh, just a nice beauty to it. Like it just feels has a nice overall feel to it, and then you feel kind of oh, this is like a romantic version of Hollywood. Like this is what it would feel like, you know, like picking up the date and doing the lasso trick, which is amazing, or even like the two sisters, just the sun and the way that it was filmed. It just makes you feel like, Oh, this is everybody's in everybody's mind. What Hollywood should be like. Yeah. Like that yeah. Blue skies and fast talk and uh, good, good hearted people, even though they're all scheming. That yeah. type of, <laughs> that type well, of that's that, like hail Caesar. I've only ever seen once. And I really should revisit that one because I remember enjoying that movie. Um, and like, I, I feel like, revisiting it would be like a good thing you know yeah um, i like yeah but like there- with um but like with the woody allen movies like i find the coen brothers like you were mentioning are very good at making their environments part of the character of the story it's not just like the environment is not just in the background it's like part of of this it's another character in the story that they're being told. And if you took, you could tell the same story in a different environment and it'd be a completely different story because like that space is part of this world that is being built, you know? Yeah. It, it has a feel and it has a purpose to the mood of the story and the characters. And it, I'm trying to think, I can't remember inside Lewin Davis. I remember I liked, I enjoyed it, but I can't remember what the environment was other than, uh, you know, like the stages playing song or it's playing on a stage without any sunlight and then walking home in the dark and, and the days are kind of gray and stuff. I did not watch that movie. Uh, I I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember the feeling was, this is what it's supposed to feel like this guy's trying to make it in the music industry. And yeah, it's, like, it's a, I, I think I, that sounds like a proper representation of how that could be like, because I, I feel like a lot of people think, you know, being in music is like this bright, glamorous thing, but it gets bright and glamorous once you make it. But it's like, it's always like, you know, small stages and open mics in the middle of the night, you know, before you get there kind of thing. I just remember Barton Think, I think. I have if I saw it again, then that might be my favorite. It's yeah. between it's that or Hail Caesar or the ones I like. Yeah, Barton there is a melancholy to Barton Fink, um, but I also have not seen it in a long time. Yeah. Um seen- but yeah, no. Well, I, I think this is this is my my problem with um 
picking like my favorite Coen Brothers movie based on like the movies I've seen. Mm-hmm. I think my thing is Big Lebowski is the most I want to say the most lighthearted of their movies. Like it's just it's it's fun um with very low consequences except for that one girl who lost a toe. Feel sorry for her. That's a bad thing. Oh, and um, then what's Oh yes, and then then he dies, which is which is also sad. Um, but he will die anyways, though. Yeah, you know, and then it still ends back on like at the bowling alley and whatever, and mm-hmm. it's just the dude trying to be the dude. Um, and I think it's also the movie of theirs that I've just watched the most, so I'm most connected to it compared to the other ones. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's the reason why it's my favorite. It's it's the it's the comfort thing. It's like. This is the one that I know, and I also think I watched it as a very at a very pivotal pivotal time in my life, like where this is the kind of shit that's going to hit me in a certain way. And I'm like, I'm there for it. Here it goes. So, but I find all of their movies to be worthwhile and worth watching, and just very good. Like they're just very good. Yeah. I I'll try watching Lady Killers again. You don't have to. Like people are allowed to make not hit the bullseye every single time. It's fine. I you do know? love the other one is Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Which oh, are. so good. Yeah, so good. I remember waiting because uh, I'm not a huge fan of bluegrass or anything, and this is a this is a clearly music based movie that's based in bluegrass and i remember waiting a long time to watch it well probably about five or six years after it came out i I finally watched it and i was just like oh that's so really good and you kind of like bluegrass by the end of the movie because of how it's presented and how it's used and how the film is put together but I think they also used a special, I forget, it's been a long time. I can't remember specifically, but they, I think they used a special person for that that new uh, gospel and Southern music. And so they set up the entire, like, the songs we heard is because it was like a musical production person mm-hmm. that knew exactly what they wanted, you know, the type of feel for it. Oh, I was yeah. going to say, uh, in... Raising Arizona. <laughs> Did you notice there? So when he, the guy hires the hitman, the the guy on the bike, yeah. and he goes into his office, and there's a painting behind him, and it's the weirdest painting. It's I did uh, not. What was it? It's it has a whale coming out of the ocean, and I think in the whale's mouth is a deer, and then in the right side of the painting is the universe. It's one of those spray paint weird paintings. and then uh in the other side is an eagle and then there's something else but the whole thing didn't like it all the image things together didn't make any sense and they must have went out of their way to find the worst that type of painting you should look it up right now i think oh my god hold on so i don't even know how to search for this racing arizona um... weird honest painting i'm gonna guess Let's see. No, it's just... The... No, that's, a, that's just a lot of paintings of Nicolas Cage as the character of High. 
Um, so that is so weird. Um, racing Arizona office scene. Let's Hiring see. bounty hunter. So that is so in the office <laughs> there. That might work. I see the pardoning scene, the scene where they're watching. They're bringing like the yeah. back. I think of the pardoning scene. That painting keeps on switching. <laughs> From... <laughs> to show he's been in there so long. Oh yeah, no. Every time he goes to get pardoned, yeah, it changes. Um. Oh, maybe somebody talked about it in some search or something. Apparently, it's one of Edgar Wright's favorite movies. So there you go. That's what I found out by searching for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyways, it's it really stood out. <laughs> Just like you start, I stopped listening to him and I started staring at it. And then they're also having the talk about like money and stuff. And I was just like, oh, this is his personality. <laughs> and then you're supposed to, I get the feeling you're supposed to not take him seriously. But then when he starts negotiating with the bounty hunter, it's like you could take, you almost take him more seriously. Like you don't see him as a two dimensional character. Like up to that point, you kind of, the character feels like they lost their kid and stuff, but he also was keep on selling his furniture, whatever he was selling. Like in yeah, the his, his raw, unpainted furniture or whatever. Yeah, but then when he was dealing with the bounty hunter, his tone with the bounty hunter was like, you see the morals behind him, and then you start feeling bad that is he's lost his kid. Yeah, and then it, when it kind of leads up to the end, when they catch them bringing back the kid, and you get the idea like, oh no, he has like a moral compass that he allows him to like let them go and not charge them and understand have an understanding of other humans like okay. he has some empathy yeah. and, but that painting is uh so Sorry. ridiculous okay Did you find so i sort of found it but his head's in a weird place but there's there seems to be like a dog with something in its mouth and something else it's yeah just, i don't i don't think i see a whale not having any real pictures come up. Yeah, I put Racing Arizona furniture office scene. Oh. And I got okay. it. No, none of these are the office. No, but that that's the scene with him in the office. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't. Oh, there it is. Yeah, so. It's... Yeah, okay, so it's a dog. And I think it has a deer in its mouth. And then behind it is a whale breaching water. And then up in the right, you don't see it. But then it's... Or is that even the same office? I'm it might be sure that is the office scene. Now i got to watch it again just to see that stupid painting. <laughs> <laughs> it's only in the... Like, it's the only scene with it for, like, five seconds. Yeah, see, now I also have to watch it just to see if I can see this painting because that painting sounds glorious and something that I should really have paid more attention to. Oh, here's another one. Okay, yeah, so it's a... Oh, no, it's a dog with a fish in its mouth, like a big trout. 
And then you can see the whale coming out of his back. And then there's like a whale spin. And then on the right is the universe. Like it's like the Milky Way. <laughs> it's like a galaxy. Okay. You have to send me the picture that you're looking at and I will post it in the show notes because people need to see what we are talking about. All right. How do I save this thing? Save as oh, would that be nice if it's a no? It's a web thing. Oh, boo worms. And I'm old. I don't know how these things work anymore. <laughs> oh. oh my god! And can we talk about okay? So old. so looking at the pictures. So now there's a bunch of like pictures of random scenes from the movie on my screen here, and I need to talk about when they go to the I don't know I guess it's the OBGYN office and she finds out she's barren um and he's sitting there all calm and she is just distraught and crying oh my god I don't know I did not expect that scene to hit me as hard as it did because it's kind of ridiculous because it's like um it's such a bright colored scene. He's got the doctors like all these weird, colorful baby things on the the table for some reason. And she's wearing these like cute little mama overalls. And he's trying to be like a proper person, ready to be a dad and like his suit and his tie and whatever. That's true. And def- they both deflate, but they do opposite. Yeah. Cause she kind of balls. And then he just sinks into not being there. Like, like he yeah. kind of spaces out. yeah because it's clear he is also distraught by the news but he's just like like it's just like everything leaves him and he has nothing to give and she's just like lets everything out and she is just so distraught and crying so heavily and all this kind of stuff and i remember watching this scene and i know this is going to sound weird but it reminded me of the beginning of the movie the the kids movie the pixar movie up because you know the first half of the movie is their life together and there is a scene where like it's three seconds long and it's just her crying at the doctor's office because they're not having a baby and it just reminded me of that scene completely you know like they could be the the couple from up i was like what oh my god it's pretty good yeah might be the bubblegum colors i don't know but, but yeah, I don't know. There's just like, there's just so much in this movie that I thoroughly enjoy. And like Coen Brothers movies too, like, like I said, like they're all these crazy convoluted stories and it's trying to explain movies like this to other people to get them to watch it. And they're just like, that sounds ridiculous or that sounds crazy. That sounds like it doesn't make any sense. I'm just like, trust me. If you watch it, it makes perfect sense. Just look at it. It must take for what do you think takes them the longest? Did you research any of this? Like do they spend more time editing or writing? Or I, I honestly think I did not do any research on this. Um, and I think it's it's the same like Quentin Tarantino mentality where like, no, you sit down and you write a really good script 
but also having an editor that knows how to edit and cut back and forth in specific ways and during like a conversation and all this kind of stuff just makes a difference because because even like like the scenes yeah. where the is it is what do you think the signature is with them is it's a bit of both i'm guessing and and the filming they always film everything it's always such a nice style to each film and they always feels like its own little film or not little the big film yes yeah. so even though it's like big lebowski is much different than another one they you realize this is a coen brothers film but also yeah yeah and then there'll be like pieces in it and stuff but then beside another coen brothers film they're totally separate in a way like they're never the same kind of like maybe they'll be about westerns this or that but the feel and the emotion like the ride they're taking on is always a little bit different and it's kind of a nice feeling yeah i mean i think um they definitely have a thing on like like um not long shots but like um i don't i really don't know how to describe their style properly that is very true but you see it and you know it it's like like i mentioned like they are the same hyper stylistic style of shooting their films as like um michael bay or wes anderson like you watch one of their movies and there's certain like shots and things like there's there's always like the weird close-up shot of like people's faces you know where, when something's happening or the the artsy uh, over the top like almost like the theatrical things like big lebowski the dance where he's dreaming of bowling or Hail Caesar, the the U boat, like the the guy getting on the sorry, the, the guy getting on the communist boat. It's yeah, like, like there's always a, a level of hyperbole in all of their movies. Like, like, like I said, like even with like that scene at the doctor's office where she's like crazy crying, he's being very stoic. There's something over the top about about it. Like there's just a lot going mm -hmm. on you know it's just a little extra and i think that's what makes it work is that they are they are these very all of a lot of their characters in these movies are very basic normal people like these are just he's an ex-con and she she was a cop and they have they live in a trailer park in the desert in arizona i miss i don't know Anyways, but they're somewhere and they they live a relatively small life, but this movie makes their life seem big, you know, mm -hmm. and I find a lot of their movies do that. Like they, no matter how small the character is, they make them big. And even in like a movie like um, The Hutsucker Proxy, where they have a character who's just like a small businessman who's making something, um, they make him seem larger than life you know mm -hmm. or or even in like i'll bring up no country for all men i don't think that's a great movie but the characters in the movie even though like that guy's a killer and whatever he kills like three people you know but they make him seem like this like crazy psycho and everybody are these like these they they all seem everything they do seems bigger and more important than what they actually are 
kind of thing, right? Um, and I think that's that's their signature is that it's relatively slice of life, but at the same time, something weird and something crazy is happening to make to make these people this worthy of the center of attention. You know what I mean? I like the um the two brothers they steal the baby, but they forget the baby on the roof. Yeah. And, and the then, one brother falls in love with the baby immediately, just like the mother did, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they are like a couple. Is it uh, but uh that them pounding the roof and like screaming it felt like over a minute and it was amazing because it just you thought it'd be over and then it just kept on kind of going going. yeah yeah. (laughs) uh yeah i don't know i really i really do like this movie a lot and like it's it's especially with like my collection of movies once they start get hitting especially movies from the 80s or previous I start getting this like little twinge, like, oh my God, maybe I like it because of nostalgia and I'm going to watch it. I'm going to hate it now. Or, oh, I like it because of nostalgia, but now I'm going to see all of the, the the horribleness in it, like misogyny or, or, oh, um, you're homophobia or, or like you, you, you see the problematic situations that are built into these stories and stuff that we used to like so much. And now you're just like, that's cringeworthy. I don't like it. Or, you know, like just being an adult, you've had experiences and you watch a movie and there's a scenario and you're just like, you know how wrong that scenario is, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so when I watch movies like this, like both of these from the eighties where that stuff isn't really, it doesn't bring the content down it just makes me happy that it has aged well and the people who created it made something that is relatively timeless because of that, you know? It it is kind of amazing that they've aged well because it's they're well, even Woody Allen and then these movies, their specific style and uh a way that the film's done and you're like, I'm going to go see this movie because it's a Woody film or it's the Coen brothers. It's like, it doesn't matter what it's about. Everybody's going to go see it because they want to see, or, you know, if you're into a director, you go see the film, yeah. but it's, it's a really good example of something from the late eighties that you can go back and it's just as good. But then it also like, you can go back to something else you thought was just as good and it's just cliche or it's, yeah, it's, it's a time capsule. But then yeah. with these ones, they don't feel like time capsules. They feel like if you saw this now, it would still feel like a new movie. It would. Yeah. Like, yeah. Never definitely. Feel like, Oh, you can make the, like, it's one of those where you see an old movie and then you're like, they can make this now. It's kind of like a hidden message of no, this movie who you just saw, even though it's like, 20 30 years old it's new to you and it's kind of it relives it's got a light a second like a shelf life for some movies but then with these ones they have a like a little life of their own i guess well one thing about both these movies, well woody like woody allen is a very problematic person and that was one of the reasons why i was kind of like also like oh maybe i'm not gonna like this like maybe he's sprinkled in some horribleness i'd never noticed before because he's a yeah. horrible person but his name on it is the only thing that tinges the quality of this movie. 
Um, and it, it'll, it'll keep newer generations from seeing it, not just because it's old, but because they'd be like, I don't think I want to like Woody Allen because I don't want to give him money and I don't want to, you know, yeah, perpetuate this nonsense, which is, which is fair, but also kind of sad because it really is fantastic and it makes me, it upsets me. Um, but a thing that makes a movie like this sort of timeless is because it was a movie that was made already out of time. Like it was, it, you know, it was made in the eighties, but already took place in the forties. So it was already out of time when it was made. So watching it any time in the future, like the time of, it almost felt like it was still, it was the eighties. Really? Like I, I don't find so. Like I, I felt out of, like, I felt the 1940s in it. So I don't know. That was me. Yeah. Maybe it was. Yeah. And I just assumed it was still the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but for me, like watch, like watching it because it was already out of time. It already feels at that time. It would have already felt timeless, you know. So it doesn't feel like it was made in 1987, and this is 1987 world. They're like, no, it was made in 87, but it was already like about the past. Yeah, so yeah. it's always about the past, right? And I find raising Arizona. The world that the Coen brothers built, even though it's in that, it, it was in that modern time period, the way it was made sort of made it feel like it wasn't part of our world anyways. Like it was like a a parallel world or something that yeah. was very much like ours, but not ours. So it feels out of time, even though it's not out of time. And I think that's one of the reasons why this movie will also be one of those things that even in the future, everybody will still be like, this is good. And I still get it. I still understand it because it feels out of time already. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The, uh, the other couple that try to put them into like a, I don't know, wife swapping situation. Uh, They're called swingers. Swinger, Swinger, yeah, yeah. But uh, when he's like, <laughs> he has his kids and he's eating peanuts, or like, what's he holding? <laughs> he's like mixed nuts. And he just whips them at the one kid. Yeah, I was it like just, at the blue, and I, I totally forgot about that. I thought it was amazing. It's just like, <laughs> what is going on? It's so great, be crazy man. People be yeah. crazy. Also, I had a question. So mm-hmm. in in the movie, high refers to the time where um hi and ed were married and they didn't have they weren't thinking about a kid yet but everything was great he referred to it as the salad days which is a term i don't think i've ever heard anywhere else at any point in time and for like 10 minutes i was just like salad days the hell is salad days what do you think i mean i guess what do you think salad days means? Or do you think it refers to anything? Yeah. It's like, um, it's one of those old, it's, it's like, a, it's like a 1930s, 40s or 1940s term for like, these are the, sal- like the salad year. It's like when you first, is it when you first get married and then everything's optimistic, but you're like, you know, you're saving pennies, that type of thing. Did you look it up? I'm looking or- it up right now. Um, it says here the salad days means a time of youthful inexperience and indiscretion. Yeah. I forget what the other days are. There's other 
because there's older i forget what the i don't even know what the entire because usually it's like the before the salad days and then the after salad days the salad years i forget what the old older than salad years is i'll type it in oh it's actually a shakespearean idiom i didn't realize that he was quoting shakespeare what um, it was first used in Antony and Cleopatra in a speech at the end of Act One, in which Cleopatra is regretting her youthful dalliances with Julius Caesar. She says, my salad days, when I was green in judgment, cold in blood, to say as I said then. Mm -hmm. And I know this is before the Caesar salad was invented, but I feel like... <laughs> Cleopatra is calling it her salad days because she was with Caesar. Because he's Caesar salad. I, I think you're just putting two separate things into into Shakespeare's mouth. <laughs> I know. I, I really I know that, but at the same time, that's how my brain works. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's probably also because in he probably uh, I guess people probably said salad days because they had to read Shakespeare. Maybe. And so, like, a lot of people, like, even uh, one of the guys at work said it was like, oh, she she does protest or, like, whatever that was. I forget what the saying is. She does protest, protest too much because somebody was saying something like, oh, I'm not into or whatever they were talking about. And then they were defending not being into it. And they just threw it. The other person just threw in Shakespeare because it just perfectly fit the moment, I guess. Yeah, that's how you win the arguments, man. Yeah, I know, um, but I'm yeah. saying, but even my mom and dad, they used to use like, yeah, everybody uses like Shakespeare phrases or but, used to. But that's no, but Shakespeare came up with many, many phrases and idioms that we regularly use in our daily life kind of thing. Yeah. So it's not unheard of, even if we don't know it's from Shakespeare. But in um, this context, it feels like he feels smart. So he uses something smart, like a Shakespeare saying. Would say, yeah. Like, it, like the characters saying it, not like saying it because he knows it's supposed. To, it sounds really smart. Well, I think in the opening when he's doing his voiceover, he mentions that he's not like the greatest writer and all this kind of stuff. So I think that was his idea of throwing in like, you know, to make him sound better uh, than what he was before. Mm -hmm. um so yeah no I, I just found it really interesting that they used that term and i probably should have looked up this term before i brought it up on here but of course not i wrote a note about it didn't do anything about it um like he mentioned crawdads and i know there's like a movie about crawdads or whatever but yeah apparently crawdads were just like crayfish whatever you didn't know what a crawdad was no idea no idea is there anything? Because even in um, No Country for Old Men, there's a scene where he's like, oh, we had to cut into the old galooch. And it's like, I think it's like a a ditch, but it's like a hard rock. Like it's not, it's not easy to dig into. Galooch? Yeah. But they always use like these very Western terms that are kind of like pretty cool. How do you think you spell galooch? G-A-L-U-T-C-I-H, I guess. I don't know if I'm spelling it right. U-T-C. 
I have no idea. I'm getting like Ancestry.com and people's names. I'm like, no, that's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm getting just like people's names and how to pronounce people's names. Yeah, yeah, it's another film, anyways. Yes. But it's interesting. Like, I find one thing I always found interesting is like etymology of like like word origins and like where they come from and like or like even like idioms and phrases like how they got into our regular lexicon and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. because it just um you know like i find people now just like oh people are just making up words and changing the language and blah 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 but that's something that's always happened like their language is always evolving and changing um when you know things become popular or you can make a reference and and all that kind of stuff like um so it's always fun to just kind of like look up where these things come from and and things like that it's 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 fun words are interesting let's see yeah i don't i don't like i said i don't have many notes and i think i've just covered all of the notes that i have mentioned um because my notes was what is a crawdad what are salad days first two notes um her crying in the doctor's office is hard and hilarious um shoot someone over huggies yes we talked about the huggy scene but the fact that everybody has a big ass shotgun just because he's he wants some huggies just what and they're like shooting for his head yeah um and sorry it starts with the one dog chasing him and then it's a bunch of dogs <laughs> just that the dogs are great and they see when he like runs through these like people's house and like all the dogs are following him too it, it's crazy yeah oh and the lady pushes over either it's the guy with the gun or it's a cop and then you see what's behind her and the all the pack of dogs chasing her mm -hmm. it just keeps adding up it's yeah it's in the grocery store yeah i also love the fact too, like he's got the huggies he's in the grocery store um the the store clerk just unleashed the the shotgun at him and he just looks instead of like scared that he's gonna get his blown his head blown off he just looks annoyed switches the hugging to the other arm just like turns around and just walks the other way it's like what that's all right you're fine with this it's okay <laughs> it's, it's awesome. like his, his criminal brain uh kicked in yeah she's like this is just another hassle i guess i'll go over here um and my last note is slamming on the brakes when you think a baby's on the roof is a bad idea <laughs> it's even funnier because <laughs> no baby falls off the roof exactly well he already fell and into the road and it was just kind of like sitting there strapped in waiting you, you kind of have that scene though <laughs> yeah <laughs> pretty uh, oh i did like the fight scene where they're he's fighting the brothers and then he he ends up like knuckling the popcorn ceiling Yes. But even, even when it happens, when it starts happening, you're like, ugh. <laughs> it's just just a gross, <laughs> gross image. Yeah, but it's also like they show how, um, again, environment part of the scene, that they show how like um, tight oh, the that space is. Because even like the John Goodman's hair, he's like trying to throw a punch and he can't like make his arm go around because there's not enough room. Or like he ducks and and like it's it's a shoddily made um a trailer, Look, it, you know. And I think they fall through the wall. Like yeah, they fall through a wall. <laughs> it's all that kind of stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. 
Even the final scene where he's on his back and then hitting him with a piece of wood and just twirling is <laughs> <It was> amazing. <laughs> it's just, it should be over the top, but for some reason it just perfectly fits. Yeah, it's like, it's not, the fight isn't unrealistic, but it is ridiculous, you know? Yeah. And it just fits into that space and that world and those characters. And it's, it's, it's good. It's good. And, and I think this is the thing that makes Coen brothers so good at what they do is that they make sure all of their stories and all their characters are consistent in the world that they build for them. And yeah. that's why, that's why everything works so well. Oh, and, and when he's running around, he still has the sock or like the, Stockings the on his on. Yeah, but it looks like rabbit ears. Like he's almost like Bugs Bunny or something. <laughs> he's almost <laughs> it makes him more comical, like the entire scene. It's it felt like yeah, like a, a Bugs Bunny skit. Yeah, you know? yeah. He's it's kind of like he's wily e. coyote and everything just goes wrong. Yeah, even the kid with the little hat and the giant, you know, the giant gun. It's like he's ridiculous, but amazing. It's so good. I mm-hmm. love it. Um, yeah, again, I thoroughly enjoyed both of these movies. Like, I I just don't even know what else to say about it. It's just, it's like when you see movies like this that are just so, like, they tell really good stories in, like, a really good way. It's hard to to analyze scenes or structures because you're just like, but it's just good just that's what else you want me to say it's just good it does that best thing where it just turns your brain off and even if you're trying to study it it's like i gave up right as arizona you know the the title the came up is like oh and i just my brain went off and i just watched the film like i didn't you know like i would have tried picking up stuff and i the only thing that stood out was that painting but then everything (laughs) else i let slide like like him on his back, like twirling and hitting him in the head with a stick was probably 15 seconds too long, but I just <laughs> didn't mind it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I was going to say something and now I forgot what it is. Oh, were they married? Uh, Dermot's in it, right? Uh, oh, yeah. She is in it. Yeah. And she's married to one of them. She, no, she's married to the swinger guy. That's that's her kids. Francis no, no. McDormand. In actual life. Oh, yeah. She, is she married to one of the Coen brothers? I think she is. She's married to a director. And been married for... I think she's been married to the same person for a very long time. Let's see. Oh, now I gotta look it up. Yeah, she is married to one of the Coen brothers. Also, Holly Hunter... I've always loved her and I don't know. It's like, there's something about her. She's like on all last, like she can play, you know, like superheroes. She can play this. She's kind of amazing. I mean, she's a great actress. She is. Yeah. She's married to Joel Cohen. Francis McDermott. Yeah. Yeah. She married him a year after making blood simple. Yeah. They've been together forever. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they, they make really good movies together as well. So, 
Well, th- she made three bill- billboards outside of, you know, three billboards. And then outside Nomad. of Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's been in great things like, uh, oh, yeah, she's a mom and almost famous. She's awesome as a mom. She's like, it felt like that's my mom. <laughs> and then uh, Mississippi Burning, which was right uh, right around. Like Mississippi Burning? Yeah, so that's 1988. And then I guess Blood Simple was 1984. Yeah. And then what's... Look, she's ha- she has 69 acting credits listed here. And Blood Simple was is listed as her first movie. Interesting. I gave up. Now I'm looking at Holly Hunter. Oh, yeah. She was in Dark Man. <laughs> Dark Man. Goodness. <laughs> I love Dark Man. That movie's so ridiculous. Take it's the other. So ridiculous. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. When you're like, where did Liam Neeson even get his start? It's Dark Man. No, he got his. And uh, I remember him in Krull. He's um, like a one eyed lo- uh, Cyclops. He's he'll always be dark man to me. That's it. No, he's always I know you got a perfect set of skills and you you, and all that kind of stuff, but you're dark man. He's been a lot of things for a lot of people over the years. Like the go to, uh, you know, like if you're going to make a joke, you do the taken speech or you do some type of Jedi speech. Yeah, it's pretty great. (laughs) Uh, I guess that's it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, what is your last comment on both of these movies? Um, it was really nice to revisit them because I haven't seen them since uh, maybe my 20s. So it's been a while. And uh, it's nice to see they're, they've still made you feel like, like I, for both of them, I didn't take any notes or start, like I just kind of tuned out and got into the movie. And uh, that's a great movie, I think. That's one thing I love and hate about doing this podcast is that, like, I get to revisit movies that I love, but also when I see the movies that I love and they hold up really well, I don't really have anything to say about them because I don't make any notes. (laughs) I get a little frustrated, but it's fine. But I enjoy every minute of it the same way. And people should go watch these two movies. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you. That was fun. Yay. Um, <laughs> you have to continue to pick good episodes and come back and chat with me about them. Okay. Um, well, that's it for this episode of Off My Shelf. Until next time, you can follow along on Instagram and Twitter at Oh My Shelf, or you can send an email to ohmyshelf at gmail.com. On the next episode, we'll be talking about the animated show Raggedy Ann and Andy. Hope you'll be here to listen.